Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the light of Jesus, which shines brightly for the world to see. And we thank you for that light of Jesus that you place in us. And so we come now, Lord, to feed that light, to grow deeper in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus and his love and his ministry among us, and his call to listen to him. So may you just guide now the words of this scripture and the message that's brought, that together we might actively listen and critically think, so that we might radically love others as you have loved us. All this I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome back to the final sermon in the series entitled, This is My Son. Our series began uh, on, uh, on several weeks ago uh, with some interruptions for Scout Sunday and some other things. But it began with the story of Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came out of the water, God the Father is audibly saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The second sermon, we talked about how Jesus provides for us on his terms and in his timing. Jesus provides. The third sermon, we talked about Jesus' authority over creation, his authority over the unseen or the spirit realm, and and his authority over those who choose to follow him, and also his willingness to allow our free will to determine the nature of our relationship with him. That was Jesus' authority. The fourth sermon, we talked about Jesus' integrity. And we answered the ethical question, which is better? Is it better to be right or to do the right thing? Today, we consider the final, this is my son statement. This is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. Listen. Listen. Earlier this week, I ran across something that I wrote eight years ago. And it was about listening. And it had to do with my children. Madison, who is now almost 19 would have been 11 at the time. And Haley, who is now 17, would have been 9 at the time. Are you interested in hearing what I wrote about that time period? (laughs) If not, too bad. (laughs) Dear parents, we all share the same struggle. Our children do not listen to us. Pastors and other leaders are not immune to this struggle. Week after week, you come and listen to me. Many of you people ask my opinions on matters in your lives. Some of you I counsel in depth, others perhaps for just a moment in the hallway. This, of course, naturally boosts my own sense of importance as I think to myself, I must be useful. I must be needed. 
My children keep me humble, though, because my children live with me. They've become desensitized to who I am. For them, I am not pastor, but dad, which over the, over the years, friends, has shifted to pops and old man. Wisdom and experience both tell me that this is only going to get worse the older my children get. Not because my children don't love me, but because they are human. It's part of growing up, right? Our children must make a way for themselves. They must decide whether to accept or reject not only the teachings of their parents, but the parents themselves. The older our children become, the more Amy and I are going to really have to work hard to get their attention, especially when we need them to listen to us. Otherwise, desensitization is going to overrun our attempts to communicate with them, and then they will not hear the really important stuff we have to say. Now, that was eight years ago, but apparently, I believe that still holds true. We want our kids to listen to us. We might know something that can help. And by the way, the older my children become and the older I become, mom and dad, I know you're watching. I listen to you more and more. You might be the most brilliant people I've ever known. I didn't say that for the first 25 to 30 years, but in these last 30 to 47, well, thank you. And I'll continue to turn to you so that I don't harm the children as adults. (laughs) I believe that the transfiguration of Jesus was God's big neon sign saying, listen, pay attention. This is why the transfiguration of Jesus is important. Because the disciples had become desensitized to Jesus. And I suppose that would only be natural, right? I mean, they probably just got so used to seeing Jesus perform miracles that it had just become commonplace. A way of life. A strange voice from heaven at his baptism. Turning water into wine. Healing the sick. Restoring sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, exercising demons, feeding thousands of people with a little boy's bag lunch. They had to become a little desensitized. And the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain was God's big opal sign saying, hey, it's time to pay attention again. So Jesus took his closest three, his inner circle, on an overnight hiking trip up to the mountains to pray. And there Jesus underwent what the other two Gospels say was a metamorphosis. And what this one says is a change. What's important to note here is that whatever took place with Jesus was not a change on the outside in. It was a change that occurred from the inside out. And in this transfiguration, we catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ in the kingdom of God that is to come for us. 
Certainly Jesus with this got the attention of his inner three, but that simply wasn't the only thing that took place on top of this mountain because Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. They appeared in glorious splendor, the text said, talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, they had just come from the eternal presence of God. Their exterior showed the effects of God's glory upon them. Those of you that are well-versed in the Old Testament, the stories of Moses, remember when Moses was on the mountain and spent so much time with God, he had a Shekinah glory about his face, had to cover it up in order to walk back in front of the people. Moses and Elijah had been in the presence of the eternal God and had this glory about them, but it was not glory itself. The splendor of them did not equal Jesus. Jesus' glory was coming from within him because he is God. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, the text tells us, they spoke about Jesus' departure, which was about to bring fulfillment in Jerusalem. And here's what's really cool about that word departure. In the Greek, it's exodon. It's where we get the word exodus from. See, what's happening here is a new Mount Sinai with a greater exodus. Moses was there. He was representing God's law. Elijah was there. He was representing God's prophets. And this signaled a fulfillment of God's redemptive plan in Jesus, His only Son. Just as God had revealed His Holy Word to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, now God reveals the fullness of His love in Jesus, the Word made flesh. Jesus. Jesus is God's exodus plan for humanity. The exodus that Jesus offers is not from slavery to a nation, but from slavery to sin and to death. It is Jesus alone who leads the people of earth out of death and into life. Well, how does good old Peter respond to this theophany on the mountain? Well, Peter and his companions were sleepy and all this was going on. They became fully awake. They saw the glory. They saw the two talking to Jesus and and the men were thinking about they were on their way to leave. And and Peter being Peter simply can't sit in the quiet of the moment. He's got to say, well, Master, it's it's good for us all to be here. You think? Let's put up three shelters. Let's put up three tents for you. One for Moses and one for Elijah. And the text says he didn't know what he was saying. He wasn't fully comprehending what he was seeing. So instead of quietly contemplating the holiness of the situation, Peter interrupts holiness with an offer to build three tents. Now Peter's statement, y'all, was well-meaning. But it was an error. You see, to build three shelters is to assume that Jesus is equal with Moses, is equal with Elijah. And Jesus is not equal to those two men. 
Remember, Moses and Elijah reflect the glory of God, but Jesus is the glory of God. So once more, in the midst of all of these happenings, God the Father envelops the whole place with smoke, and then He speaks, and He says what He says. This is My Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. This is My Son, God says. I have chosen Him, He says. For He is my only begotten, which means the same substance. This is my substance. Listen to Him. Now why does the Father say listen to Him? Why does the Father say that? Because the nature of ministry for Jesus was about to change. Next slide, please. The nature of Jesus' ministry was about to change. See, following Jesus was not only going to be more difficult, listen, it's going to be dangerous now. And you know, Jesus had begun telling his disciples about this eight days before his transfiguration, but they just, they weren't listening to Jesus in Luke 9.22, this happens just right before the transfiguration. Eight days before, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, I imagine that the disciples probably immediately turned Jesus off when He said that. I can hear them saying something like, Whatever. Like anyone can possibly kill you, Jesus, right? And I imagine that the next part of the conversation that happened before the transfiguration was equally difficult to comprehend. And if you've not been paying attention, now's the time to tune back in. You see, Jesus taught the heart of discipleship immediately before the transfiguration. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Now we're going to spend a great deal of time considering this verse throughout the Lenten season. For now, friends, it's simply enough to realize that this verse occurs within the literary center of Luke's gospel and it precedes Jesus' transfiguration. But here's what's cool about that section of the gospel. What Jesus taught before the transfiguration, he then embodies after it. And it begins in Luke 9.51 when Luke writes, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus started his death march. He would hike with purpose. His cross would be in view. Along the way, he continued his ministry, healing, preaching, expanding the range of his disciples to take the message to even more people. And the closer he came to Jerusalem, the more conflict Jesus had with the religious right until the plot was fully formed to kill Jesus. Then after a brutal beating, followed by a scourging that left him nearly dead, Jesus was sentenced to death. 
He carried his cross up another mountain. He could have stopped in this process at any moment. But he denied his human self for he was more than human. He was his father's son. The divine conspiracy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit was to change the world at the molecular level with sacrificial love, one soul at a time. The heart of discipleship that Jesus taught before the transfiguration was the heart He modeled on the way to the cross, with the cross, and on the cross, for God so loved the world. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that the disciples really started listening to Jesus. No doubt they heard Jesus' words, but they didn't comprehend them, let alone act with purpose based upon those words until after. So, how shall we listen to Jesus? Well, in two words, I would say actively and obediently. I mean, sometimes we can hear what another person says, but we can never act on what we hear. Listening to Jesus means hearing to understand and then applying what we have heard to our behavior. To listen to Jesus is to do what he says by behaving the way he did. (laughs) Which which ain't easy. Remember that Jesus always teaches and then models the teaching for us. And I want, friends, to share with you a fantastic example of what listening to Jesus looks like at Calvary Church. Because I received this question from one of Calvary's youth. This question came to me as one of seven questions that this youth sent me. Seven. And I'm going to read all of the context of just this one question before the final part of the question appears on the screen for you. This youth writes, I was wondering, how can we give our whole heart to the Lord? It can be hard to do that because we are scared of what we will lose. And every time I try to, it doesn't feel like I actually did or at least believe that I did. So how can we give our whole heart and trust the Lord even if we lose stuff along the way? Can we just pause for a moment and give thanks For the question of one of our youth. Are you digesting that? Are you listening? That our youth are asking questions like that? Have you heard about what's happening at Asbury University and Seminary? It's one of our United Methodist seminaries, but it's a Wesleyan college. Have you heard what's happening there? With those young people, they showed up for a regular old chapel service 
on like February the 8th. And that service is still going. There was no planned revival. It just became a revival. They've not stopped worshiping. People are coming from states everywhere. They're filling up all three chapels and standing outside singing praise to God 24-7. Because something's happening in our youth. They're listening to Jesus and they're asking the tough questions. You ought to be praising God. That that's the kind of environment that is here right now. Praise God for that. Celebrate that. Here's the answer I gave. I'm hoping it's developmentally appropriate, but I tend to talk and write too much. But this was the answer. The greatest thing about following Jesus is that none of us will ever graduate from being a student. There's only one master. Jesus. Everyone else, including and especially me, I write, is learning how to give their whole heart to Jesus. It takes an entire lifetime. So be gracious with yourself. You're going to lose stuff along the way. Friends, the season of Lent is before us now. Jesus' cross is empty, and so is his tomb. But for every disciple, there remains a cross to carry, for it is the cross of Christ. And if it is your heart's desire to listen to Jesus, then carry the cross he's given you. Don't worry if you lose stuff along the way. Don't worry if you feel like putting it down every now and then because even Jesus had to have someone help him carry his cross to the end. Jesus does not expect you to be the master. That's his job. Jesus expects you to be the student, a lifetime learner. So listen to Jesus. He's always speaking to you. And if our youth and young people are hearing him as loudly as they're hearing him right now, then thanks be to God for proof that he's real. And he's always talking. Listen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.